Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. This is Mike Lewis. I am joined with Doug Battle. How are you today, Doug? I am doing well. I uh, wrapped up the last dance last night and Man, first off, it made me miss the NBA playoffs so much because this is usually one of my favorite times of year when we're getting into the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. So I'm still holding on to the hope that those will come back, um, but the realist in me can accept that that's probably not happening. Um, but outside of that, yeah, just kind of keeping up with baseball's proposal and seeing the ramifications for other sports. Well. I mean, it's an interesting time for sports, right? Where the biggest story is a documentary about something that happened 20 plus years ago. Um, the rest of the stories, I think, that are out there, I think at, the, at this point, they're, it's not clear how many of these things are vaporware. Right? It's I mean, a lot so, of speculation. Yeah, I mean, so in the news, we have everything from a speculation about a Holyfield-Tyson rematch which I think you and I will have to talk about that next week because I, I like that story. I don't think you like that story. <laughs> so it could be a fun one to talk about. To when are other sports going to come back? Um, but, you know, maybe what we do, you know, just uh, we, we've been following The Last Dance. I think most sports fans have been following The Last Dance. I mean, well, obviously we're watching it from different perspectives. Yeah. I lived it. You heard about it. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about it on a, almost a more fundamental level. On okay. A, a level of like how an academic researcher looks at it. So as you look at this thing as a whole, what are your key takeaways? And you can go any direction you want on this. What yeah. were uh, stuff you learned, uh, stuff that you found really impactful, um, stuff that was sort of surprising, stuff that uh, material that changed the way you think about basketball or even fandom in general? Yeah. One thing that was big for me was how much respect they gave you for the teams Michael was playing against. Because for my generation and i'll see pictures sometimes when guys are comparing lebron and and jordan and they'll be like this is what lebron goes up against and it'll be a picture of some huge guy in today's nba and it'll be like here's what jordan was going up against it'll be a picture of john stockton but really coming to understand what that pacers team was like with reggie miller um in the fight that they had in them and how loaded they were and also looking at that carl malone led jazz team and seeing wow these guys in most years would probably win an NBA finals. But this Bulls team was just something else. And you got to give credit to ESPN for masterfully weaving the strength of the Bulls opponents into the storytelling. Okay. So there's a lot, there's a lot there. So I'll key on just a couple of things I heard. So yeah. number one, uh, when you're talking about the storytelling, because I think, you know, my, my st stake in the ground on sports and analytics is, well, my stake in the ground on sports is analytics. Mm -hmm. But the importance of storytelling is something that you, you just can't neglect. And so I could decompose the growth of, let's say, Bulls fandom over time. Or I could do some analytics related to the Bulls championship uh, championship runs, right? I, mm -hmm. I could take either, I could take a marketing perspective and look at the data, look at how attendance changed, how prices changed, or I could look at, you know, how that team was. I think that's what the last dance was masterful at mm -hmm. in terms of communicating, let's say the whole or the big picture of all of this. I mean, you know, like when I think about like the performance of the team on the floor, 
you know, if you decompose that into the bits and pieces and you go, oh, Rodman was the rebounder, Pippen was the facilitator, Jordan was the, the scorer, you could do that. But I think you would always lose the magic of all of that being put together in terms of, you know, how those guys fit, how they played off of each other. And, and, and you know, look, I mean, to be honest with you, you know, one of the episodes, I, was it uh, 9 or 10, you know, they talked about how, like, Rodman didn't show up, didn't make the, the trip back. He ended up on a... <laughs> WWE. On a, uh, no, it wasn't WWE, I think. I think it was the other one. I think it was the... Uh, yeah, the you know, NWO is correct. But so how much of the way that team was built was this chemistry between these guys. And, you know, Rodman's craziness might have hurt them at times. Rodman's, Rodman's craziness might also have helped them at times, right? I mean, well, I was struck by then Jordan goofing on him, calling him Rodzilla in the next <laughs> pra- practice. Yeah, and along those same lines, it was interesting to me across the documentary as a whole how certain episodes would focus on certain players. So early on, we got to see how important Scottie Pippen was um, and later how important Dennis Rodman was and even late on how important Steve Kerr could be to that team. Uh, But there are certain episodes and even these last two episodes, it's like Scottie Pippen was almost an afterthought um, and was kind of left out of the story a good bit. Whereas in other episodes, it felt like, wow, like he might have been the best player in the NBA if it weren't for Michael Jordan. Um, and so it, it's interesting to me how the storytelling can frame certain players and make them feel so valuable at some times and so forgotten at others. And I think that's, again, you know, I, I can't help it, you know, after all this time as an academic watching this kind of material mm-hmm. and thinking about it from almost a more theoretical perspective, which, you know, even if I, as I say, those words sounds like as a, from a boring perspective, <laughs> right? but, but, but when we, we think about the, the way the documentarian, the way the filmmaker put that together and focused on each of the players, right? Sort of build up those personalities and the individual players, heroics or support, you know, I, I can't help but think, wow, you know, that is, uh, again, kind of this notion of that the interpretation of the outside watcher is so important in addition to the analytics. So you, you mentioned Steve Kerr. Mm-hmm. Steve Kerr, on paper, may not appear that important. He's like you know, six I, points a game across his career, I think. Six points a game? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe he had a high point in the playoffs, right, where maybe he scored 12 or 15. Yeah. So it doesn't appear that important. Now, the filmmaker, um, the interpreter, let's say, I, I almost think it was like the anthropologist studying the tribe of the bulls has a different take on the importance of Steve Kerr, right? So Steve Kerr gets highlighted. His fighting Michael Jordan in practice, his hitting a, a couple of key shots as sort of this, this counterpoint to Jordan who was left uncovered, that's, that's sort of a richness that the observer can pick up. Mm-hmm that is not going to be found in the stat sheets. It's probably not even going to be found if you have really detailed data where you track every interaction with the ball, kind of these massive data files that now exist, because it has something to do with, uh, you know, something beyond just the mechanics uh, of, of the game. And so now I think the danger, the danger of this is, well, let me ask you this. I mean, from the way you said it, you've bought in to the to the filmmaker's vision of how important these guys were, right? <laughs> well, it was funny because I checked myself last night while I was watching it. 
I was sitting there and I was watching it with um, some nostalgic, you know, people that, that had watched it live and they were telling me about, you know, Steve Kerr was this legend and he was better than, and these are the words, people I was watching it with, than a player like Malcolm Brogdon today. And I was like, Malcolm Brogdon starts. Did Steve Curry even start? And they're like, I think he started. He hit some big shots for them. And uh, and so that's when I started looking at the stat sheets. And it's like, you know, he had years where he averaged maybe low double digits. But across his career, he's a six-point-per-game player. Um, and so it's like these this storytelling can overall kind of create this perception of a player to be better than they really were. Because if Steve Kerr were with another team, if he hadn't been on all these championship teams, it's not likely that we would even be talking about him ever. True. Forgotten. Lost in the lost in the sands of time, as it were. And I think that's that's a perfect way of framing it, right? That mm-hmm. that what we get in this this filmmaking, in the in the story, is we get something that is both uh, you know, I mean, you think about the analytics as something sort of the dry baseline in terms of the numbers or you know the data. That's not enough, right? That that mm-hmm. doesn't complete the whole picture. Sort of the you know the way the team plays together. Look, even the interactions with the the front office may have played into it. Of you know they wanted to prove Jerry Krauss wrong, so he'd be put over a barrel in terms of breaking up the team, right? Mm-hmm. That could have the, these motivating factors. Um, the the danger though. Right. Is so when we get that interpretation that says, you know what, Kerr was actually kind of this important part because he drove Michael. He came up big when everyone else was being guarded. Does the documentary filmmaker get that right? Right. And, and so it's the same issue that you might have with a general manager that that loves players from a certain school or likes guys that fit a certain prototype. Is that the you know, the sort of that 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 decision makers intuition or is it that decision maker's bias? Now, in the case of this show, right? Well, the Bulls won the championship. The storytelling was beautiful. It's hard not to buy mm. into the idea that Steve Kerr was of incredible importance. Yeah, and I think part of it, too, is there's kind of a blurred line on ESPN between journalism and entertainment. Um, I, th- and re- I think they've rocketed past that line, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, entertainment so was, and promotion at this point. Yeah, so I was reading, you know, Ken Burns, who's a for those of you that are solely sports fans, uh, Ken Burns is kind of the the father of modern documentary, and his critiques of the show from a journalism standpoint and uh, from a factual standpoint, and from you know a, a more artistic standpoint. But the matter of the fact is, ESPN at this point is an entertainment business, and they're appealing to demographics and they're Steve Kerr's an underdog story it's we I mean it appeals to so many people and I I loved that part and whether or not he's really worth a you know that much in the documentary versus some players even that weren't mentioned that average more points per game that you wouldn't even know they were on the team from watching that documentary um, but you know it, it's storytelling and it's entertainment and he's kind of a legend at this point that may receive too much credit for what he was as a player well and i think that's uh you know part of you has to wonder if if kerr hadn't been such a successful coach you know in his second act of uh nba his the second act of his nba life maybe they don't feature him as much um i'll be honest one of the things that i've enjoyed about it (laughs) and i you know i i lived in chicago at the time in naperville or evanston and to be honest with you, I don't even remember Scott Burrell, 
But after watching the documentary, Scott Burrell is maybe one of my favorite players on that team. Um, you know, other other kind of role players that got sort of strange treatment in this is I don't right. think they spent any time focused on Judd Bushler, right? But they said Judd a lot. They said Judd a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah, Scott Burrell's an interesting one because he was not in Chicago very long, um, but he he felt like a more featured part of that team than he probably was. Well, and, and, and again, this is like the judgment, right? He seemed really important to him, right? He seemed important to, to Jordan. Now, was that filmmakers' decisions or kind of, you know, to make the storytelling flow? Or was that actually capturing something in terms of what, what happened? Now, it, it appears Jordan was very involved in this. So maybe we're actually, we're actually learning something about that composition of the team. You know, that even having the young kid that Jordan was playing the mentoring role to... Um, in addition to being, you know, portrayed as the tyrant for his other players, mm-hmm. you know, again, I'll keep coming back today after seeing the whole ten-part episode is kind of this magic of sports. That's, you know, if you're seeing it, you can understand it, but it's hard to capture otherwise. It's hard to capture looking at the data. Absolutely, and I think that's why um, people like ESPN are so important to sports because they essentially and ultimately create something that appeals to your heart and uh it it draws audiences whereas the numbers as impressive as they may be for certain players or whatnot um you know don't have that same effect well actually actually can i stay there for a second because i think what you just said is actually really kind of an interesting thing sure you know as i grew up and i think anyone that in particular saw like adam sandler movies of a certain era you know, you kind of got the sense that ESPN was like Taco Bell is the most important fast food restaurant to young men in cars. ESPN was the most important cable channel to young men above the age of 12. Sometimes it actually worries me a little bit how ESPN has shifted over time in terms of, you know, there's always going to be the continuum between journalism and entertainment. Has mm-hmm. ESPN has continued to shift where I found it almost the most troubling i think was you know disney espn is owned by disney mm-hmm. disney also owns star wars and i think you know there, there was a a time period when it was when the last star wars movie was coming out where they were doing a massive amount of promotion on the programming mm-hmm. like sports center related to star wars mm-hmm. and, and so it is this as a you know someone interested in sports there's this double-edged sword of making the entertainment really polished, having the heroes, having the villains versus please just tell me the information. Now, look, <laughs> it makes me think of, you know, almost evolving to something like the WWE, right? Where the WWE does great entertainment, right? Because they get to make all the choices. They don't have to rely on a guy making last second shots. They can actually do it. Yeah, that's that's not something I've thought of, but I, I definitely think it's moved more and more toward entertainment from journalism. And while I don't see sports becoming fully scripted uh, for networks like ESPN, I could certainly understand concern about that uh, with Disney being the owner and with their focus on storytelling. Um, but one other thing about the documentary that really interested me was how much focus there was on that seventh ring. Like the, the documentary was pretty much based on once-in-a-lifetime dynasty um, and how much they accomplished, and yet so much emphasis was put on what else they could have accomplished or might have accomplished 
had they had different management or, or had different decisions made in the management towards the end? Well, you know what? I think the theme for today is this issue of, let's say, the, the numbers the numbers tell an incomplete story. Mm-hmm. The, the job of the general manager or the filmmaker is to use the intuition to get it to the next level. And when you talk about you know, breaking up the team rather than going for the seventh ring, this brings me back to some of the earlier episodes with uh, a lot of the focus on Jerry Krause. This idea that Krause almost had too much success, right? Where he was very good at moving out of Charles Oakley, bringing mm-hmm. in a Horace Grant, moving out a Stan Albeck to a Doug Collins and then to a Phil Jackson, mm-hmm. that you can almost imagine that he became too in love with his own intuition. Mm-hmm. And so then his thought of, well, we've got to rebuild this thing. I mean, in hindsight, has got to seem to be about the most foolish decision of all time, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, what were the Bulls? Who was, who was on the Bulls in 19... Um, in 1999, right? Yeah, I mean, a couple leftovers from that team, but Kukoc was still there. Yeah, I mean, so there were a few <laughs> guys, right? And, and so this is what I mean. It's almost like he was captured by his biases in all this mm-hmm. of thinking, well, the, the key to developing this franchise is continually bringing in the next star, right? Mm-hmm. Where, well, you know, maybe let's say for that, and I could be getting some of this wrong, and this is not your era, so don't feel bad if you can't correct me, that, you know, maybe the Celtics went from Bill Russell to Dave Cowens, to Walt Havlicek, to Larry Bird, right? And I think that was the model that he wanted to pursue to really build that franchise that went beyond, you know, because who, who, who is the architect? Who is the, who gets the credit for that? Is that Michael Jordan's team or is that Jerry Krause's team? I, I think it's, you know, it's Michael Jordan's team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think at the point where they are transforming and, and bringing in different stars, Jerry Krause starts to get more of the credit that he wants. And along those lines, um, I saw a proposed trade that Jerry Krause wanted, and it it was uh, denied by management, but it would have brought in Tracy McGrady as a rookie in exchange for Scottie Pippen. So I think Jerry was a lot closer to that Celtics model of bringing in another generational talent and building around them uh, than, than a lot of people may think, because that was prior to that 97 98 season yeah and and look i mean kraus yeah i get you got to give him credit right he was very good at that at that reloading until until he wasn't until he wasn't (laughs) right uh one interesting line and this was like the hot take of the whole thing to me was scotty pippen in the very last episode calling jerry kraus the best general manager in the game after completely ripping him for seemingly nine episodes well, and that's, um, you know, that, that's the beauty of all this, right? And this is a tough thing, I think, for a lot of folks in the industry to fully wrap their heads around, right? Because everyone is busy on a, on a day-to-day basis. But the reality is that dynasties and the fandom that is truly special in, in some cities or at some universities is mm-hmm. the product of kind of generational influences. And I'm not talking about, you know, that's passed on from father to son or from father to daughter, but that it just takes so much time. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the great, one of the other real lessons about this, and look, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I love the idea of assigning this, this entire 10-part, 10 10-hour 10 documentary to my classes at, at Emory here. 
is that, you know, how the action on the court is, let's say, magnified over time in some cases, you know, it's forgotten uh, over time in other cases. And so the, the fights with Jerry Krause, yeah, at the time, Pippen, Pippen was massively underpaid and really upset. And the only thing that sort of held it together was this love of winning championships. But, you know, on the other side of it, some of that fades. Being underpaid might fade for Pippen on some level. While the, the epic accomplishments, what they did in the city of Chicago, that, becomes, that truly becomes legendary. Yeah, well, one thing that was interesting to me toward the end was how ESPN gave a first look at a new 30 for 30 on Lance Armstrong. And to me, that was indicative of how successful the last dance was and um, how much of an appetite sports fans have for this kind of content, especially during a time of quarantine. I saw CJ McCollum, uh, the shooting guard for the Portland Trailblazers <laughs> tweeted out and he said, Is, are, are there any more documentaries out there? Are there any more coming up, sports documentaries coming up? But it seems like sports fans have an appetite for this kind of thing. Um, and I would expect more and more moving forward in the future after how successful this has been. Well, that is an interesting, uh, that is an interesting direction for them to go with this. And that, that almost makes me feel like they're almost going to do a little bit of experimentation here, right? Because the Michael Jordan story is is a story that become you know Jordan becomes more legendary over time you know he's become a I, I think especially with this documentary a, a Babe Ruthian like figure a, you know the, mm-hmm. he, he's on that Mount Rushmore with Babe Ruth Muhammad Ali Michael Jordan and, and honestly I'm not even sure who else is out there the Lance Armstrong documentary I, I'm guessing will have a, an almost 180 degree opposite feel to it. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a great thing to watch. I mean, to understand sort of this level of steroids and a little bit of corruption in sports. I mean, this this hit baseball. This hit the NFL. This has hit all the Olympic sports. So, I mean, for the sports fans out there, I don't know how anyone could miss it. But it's almost like it's, uh, you know, if the Jordan story is inspirational as all hell, the Armstrong story might be sort of kind of depressing, but really kind of fascinating from an educational standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, ultimately, to me, I think this Jordan documentary has grown the audience and the appetite for documentary as it pertains to sports. I think more people have consumed this than the average 30 for 30 and that people are more open moving forward to that kind of content. Okay, last word for today. Uh, This week we are doing we're launching something that we are very much hyped up about um, and that is going to, we're, we're going to drop it on Thursday, Doug. Thursday is the day we are dropping. It is a return to class for all of you. So we are dropping class one of a project we're calling Fanalytics university. This is a version of the, a podcast version of the sports analytics class. I have been teaching at Emory university at the Goizueta school of business for, um, seven, eight years now. So this is, uh, this is something we are very much excited and frankly we're we're pumped about it uh because it's an opportunity to take what i what i do for a living and what doug is starting to do for a living and to go beyond the hallowed howls of academia and put it out there in the public so please please give it a listen take a look for it on uh, on thursday along with that there's going to be a little bit of background i mean doing a class on a podcast is a new endeavor for us a bit of an experiment so you can also check out the uh, 
And I don't think I'll have it up uh, when this airs on Tuesday, but definitely on Wednesday and Thursday morning, there'll be some material on the website at www.fanalyticswithmikelewis that'll give you a little bit more insight into the project and some fairly minor visual elements to support the podcast. Uh, So with that, talk to you guys again in a couple days. Thank you.